Welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast, hosted by Jason Barbato. Hey everybody, welcome to the Soccer Geeks Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Barbato, along with producer and best sidekick ever, Miss Marissa Callie. Marissa, how are you doing today? I'm well, uh, happy to see you. It's been a while since we've done one of these. Uh, I don't know, maybe a week. Um, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, super happy to be back and, and really looking forward to this conversation because um, it's definitely something that we haven't covered too much on the podcast yet, um, but definitely are going towards that realm. So why don't you give us a little background of who we're going to talk to today or you yeah, are going to talk to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The conversation we're going to have today, folks, is, is really going to be important for coaches. I think it's going to be important for players, uh, student athletes. I think it's going to be really important for parents. So we're going to be speaking with uh, Elliot Mark of Recruit Fluency, who's a friend who's introduced to me to another guest that we had on the show previously, Mr. Andrew Hosmer. And um, and Elliot's going to come on the show. He's going to he's going to tell us how to kind of tap into getting through all the noise that's out there and getting your kids in front of the right coaches and the right programs across the country. So, Elliot, uh, why don't you go ahead, Marissa, and bring Elliot on the show and let's let's get into it. Elliot, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing good, man. Welcome. welcome. We're so glad to have you. Thanks. Tonight. Of course. Thank you. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, Elliot, if you don't mind just sharing first with the audience, kind of where where are where are you coming in from as far as where uh, where are you while we're recording this today? Yeah, I am in the mountains of uh, Aspen, Colorado, taking a little vacation, trying to uh, rejuvenate and uh, just relax a little bit because, like yourself, it is a twenty four seven job trying yeah. to get the right information out there to the people. So yeah. uh, just chilling out a little bit and. It's great that we could that we could do it from here. Yeah. I just want to make a quick note real quick. Marissa dipped out of our podcast real fast just for anybody listening or the audience at home. So Marissa, we'll see you a little bit towards the end of the show. Want to make sure that, you know, she pulled the Irish dip there real quick. So I just want to make sure <laughs> we, we call that one out. Um, Elliot, if you wouldn't mind getting into it, if you could just tell our audience a little bit about your personal pathway in regards to soccer. Um, if you could just share a little bit about your story in regards to, you know, the game of soccer, um, yourself as an athlete, college player, post-college career, kind of what that looked like. So can you kind of paint a picture for our audience first, con first for us contextually? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. So I was really fortunate. Uh, from a young age, I was surrounded by incredible coaches and mentors. For example, Bobby Montgomery, who was the director of the Red Bulls Academy, was one of my first coaches growing up. Kevin Anderson, who's now the head coach at Columbia, was an incredible mentor, still is to this day in my life. Gary Book, who is a tactical genius uh, when it comes to the, the understanding of the game, right? It's principles, how to defend, how to attack, everything. Everything I've learned really came from Gary Book. And he, he actually helped mentor me through the recruitment process. So it was my educational pathway into college. And that ended up at Lehigh University, which was an incredibly fantastic experience for me, but I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My, my expectation going to school that I was to play at a division one school, but then also compete at a really academic oriented university. What managing those two things is really yeah. tough. Yeah. Um, 
So if I were to do it over again, I might not have landed at Lehigh. I might, I think I might, uh, with the knowledge that I have now and what I try to bestow to all the athletes that I work with, I probably would have ended up at a less school academically. And I would have had a lot better time management um, to do, you know, put towards soccer because balancing that is extremely tough. So, and with that said, Jason, I mean, I had an amazing career. I I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, But if I were to look at it from an academic standpoint, I I would maybe make a different decision. Now, now when it comes to my, my role at Lehigh University, I was fortunate once again, I started as a freshman which is an anomaly, um, especially in today's, you know, game. Right. And you started playing as a freshman, right? Because everyone starts as a freshman, but you started playing. Uh, I'm sorry. I started yeah, right yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone common, does not start common, as a freshman. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, common, I was, uh, yeah. So, so starting as an outside back and really getting some, some good accolades, uh, Patriot League rookie player of the week. Um, came in runner-up for rookie of the season to one of my best friends who actually played at American University. Uh, With that said, I went on to be the captain, uh, two-year captain at Lehigh University, and I was moved into the central back position. And that was really the position where I flourished just because of my communication, my understanding of the game tactically, where people needed to be on the field, like that blade of grass, right? Where I needed to pull people back into... Hold, hold people accountable. It was just the right position for me. And Dino did a great job, Dean Koski at Lehigh, to really you know, foster that and, and provide me with that confidence to, to play in that position. Right out, right out of college, I went into coaching. And that's because I had some injuries in my final season. I redshirted for a year. So I went on and didn't have the career professionally that I dreamed of having Mm -hmm. but i parlayed that right into coaching at florida atlantic university where i learned a ton and i was the head of recruitment for almost five years just four and a half years i was with the program we went on to win a conference championship and i was able to bring in national team players to a a fairly you know above average program but not a clemson not a virginia not a duke and it was it was it was really because of the way we recruited it was multifaceted and we had, we took a business game and bringing kids in and we really made sure that they were successful after college, right? Whether that was playing, whether that was in the business world, um, they had a lot of success. And then from there on, I've, I've owned some small businesses helping the youth development throughout the country, tactically, technically, just passing on that knowledge that Gary provided, Dino provided, and um, now I'm working at Recruit Fluency, uh, founder of a recruitment company, mm-hmm. I want to say. I don't want to say a, a service or an agency. We're, we're a little bit different. We want to educate parents on the process. We want to get to parents early, show them the path so that they can take their son or daughter through the recruitment process themselves without having to outsource their child's future to a service or an agency and maybe get pulled in, in a, the wrong direction. So, yeah. And I was wondering if you might be able to make that connection for us. So, you know, you had, you head up the recruitment department at FAU for five years mm-hmm. and, and then you 
you kind of through a series of other companies, you see some, you see not only just an opportunity uh, for a company, but you also see the opportunity to provide a service, right? That you see mm-hmm. something in the marketplace that needs to be there. Uh, can you kind of talk a little bit to kind of what that need is? Because, uh, you know, I don't know that every parent in the country or that every parent, you know, not every parent has a four or five star recruit, so to speak. And so so what really is what are we really talking about, like in the college recruitment process um, and who's kind of the target audience, you know, mm-hmm. for your company and for, for your guys's services that you provide? Sure. So we really are speaking to the parent uh, because one, they're the decision makers right in this process. They will take the bull by the horns without a doubt, just because they understand how important that college experience is to their son or daughter. And that the son or daughter might not understand that unequivocally, you know, at this moment in time, you know, they're a little immature and they need to go through the process and understand themselves. So our target market is parents. What we do at Recruit Fluency is we educate parents and we do that through a series of master courses. We have five modules and 25 videos. So we've broken, broken the recruitment process down into selecting a group of target schools. So how to go about that. We break it down into academics, social life, environment, and then athletics, right? And we want to make sure the ultimate question there is, without athletics, are you still going to be happy at that university? Like myself, I had injuries. There was times I didn't get on the pitch, even though I was a starter as a freshman. Things happen, right? So we want to make sure that ultimately we're there for the academic success for our future, right? And that's really what we preach fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After that, we teach parents and student athletes how to communicate with coaches, whether that's via email, social media today is a huge opportunity, but also a huge, um, it, you know, you could you could throw away some, some opportunity as well if you're not buttoned up on your social media side. Yeah. And then how coaches evaluate the student athlete, right? So to give you an understanding of what they're really looking for, I spoke about that blade of grass, right? Like where you're technically and tactically at, what level do you understand the game at? Some of the things they look at. Then we go into how to understand and differentiate the target schools that you've come up with, right? So what are some of the questions you're going to ask when you're on an official and an unofficial visit? What are you going to ask the coach? What is the coach going to ask you? What should you be asking the players? What are the players going to ask you? What should parents try to ask the coach? And what should they maybe stay away from, you know, for for now? Uh, And then lastly, lastly, we go through the application and the financial aid aspect to it, right? So Mm -hmm. how do you get loans? Where can you go to, you know, set, set up the FAFSA correctly and try to get some money academically, um, financial aid wise, and create a package, right? Because everyone thinks about a scholarship is just athletic. And there's so many other ways to get aid financially, rather than just the the athletic piece, because a small piece of, of the student athlete body are the ones that are getting that athletic scholarship. Right. And I wonder, you know, I wonder if you might be able to speak a little bit to kind of the pathway for boys and girls. I imagine that they're not identical. I imagine they're both, they have some similarities, but they've got some key differences. So can you kind of like lay out 
what those similarities and what those differences are for the parents of, you know, male student athletes and, and female student athletes? You know, whenever I've coached on the on the female side, everything's been a lot more organized, right? And I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if that's just the nature of human beings. Oh, come on. Uh, Are you sure you're not sure why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Right. It's probably why, right? <laughs> it's probably yeah. why. Um, and the reality is, is that that actually works out well because uh, the female game recruitment starts earlier. Um, 100%. The, the male game, the male side of things is a little bit later, but I still think that parents aren't educating themselves about the process early enough. So that, you know, I, I just had a couple of interviews with uh, D1 coaches, D3 coaches, and they tell me, so this isn't my opinion, right? This is what they're telling me. It starts in the eighth grade. And I know that sounds like, wow. like, crazy right but the reality is is you're not acting on that recruitment process you're educating yourself right so doing the research you know coming to somewhere like recruit fluency where you can get that information and if it's not from me that's fine there's websites to learn from but what you need to be wary of is the services and the agencies that are pitching scholarship opportunities that's that red flag right mm -hmm. so just getting back to your question it starts early and the best way to be seen is to play at the highest level possible, right? So today it's ECNL, it's um, MLS Next, right? Some of these, these programs, but they're changing. I mean, EDP right. just came out with a new program, right? So I don't want to just give you a, I don't want to just give you a program the highest level possible, whatever that is, when you play, you need to play at that level to get the most visibility right. from college coaches. Right. Uh, and I almost wonder for boys, if the, the process starts a little bit later, because for most, not most, but for, I think in the, the mindset of most teenage boys, uh, the collegiate pathway is the fallback plan if the professional pathway doesn't present itself soon enough, especially those playing at the high level, DA, ECNL, things like that. Is that, you think that that kind of falls in line or just boys just tend to think about it a little bit later? <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think ego is a huge, ego is a huge part okay. of this recruitment process. And we speak about it at, at length, right? And, and it's from the parents as well. Um, if you're not aware, if you don't have self-awareness around who you are as a player and as, a, as, an, as an athlete, as a student, academically speaking, you're going to waste thousands of dollars throughout this process, right? Mm -hmm. Because people are always trying to sell you on something that they have. And that might look like an opportunity at a Virginia ID camp. That might look like an opportunity at, you know, an ID camp that has 45 coaches coming to it. But the question I ask parents is, are those schools aligned with your son and your, and your daughter's academic and athletic prowess, if you will, right? You know, is that going to be a good fit? I went to UConn soccer camp with Ray Reed, right? One of the best coaches in the world. Did I get a something out of it of course because every time you're touching the ball you're getting something out of it right 
but I was foolhardy to believe that I was going to play at that level. It would have made more sense for me to go to Lehigh University's camps and schools of that level. Right. Right. So check that ego. And that's such a huge part of it for sure. Kind of looking maybe at the other the other at the other side of the, the the phone, if you will, in the recruitment process, and kind of thinking about it from the coach's perspective, since you have a lot mm-hmm. of experience sure. there, what type of um, what's the call? What's recruitment look like for college coaches? You know, what are the ways that you know coaching staffs across the country? How are they currently recruiting players? What services or programs that they're using? Um, you know, if recruit fluency is there for for parents. Mm-hmm. And the parents of players and players themselves, what are the programs and what are kind of the tools that coaches have on the other side of the aisle? What does that look like? Well, it's really interesting, right? So most, most, and we, and it's different at every level, right? So division one to division three is going to be slightly different. There, there are division three programs that are just as good as division one programs, Right. So name them, name them right now. Messiah, Messiah. What an incredible, I mean, that was, they beat us in preseason. I think when I was with Lehigh one, nothing. And I was taken back by the, by the absolute. Sure. Um, yeah. In, sure. Incredible. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> All right. So you named I, one. I had, I had it up there ready to go for you. <laughs> right. Sure. If I'm going to say that, I need to be able to sure. back it up. Yeah. Back it up um, Elliot, right now. Yeah. No. So go get back to your point. Sorry. Right. <laughs> Not a problem. So, well, now I'm off track. Now, now I lost my thought. Yeah. <laughs> so Division one to division three schools. Right. It's going to be a lot different, right? Yeah. What coaches tell me, what I did 15 years ago, I guess is sort of irrelevant. What, yeah. What's happening today, right? So I want to give you that information. Every coach is paid a salary to recruit players. They are not using a lot of these services and agencies, especially at the higher caliber, um, you know, athletic programs. And the reason is because they need to get eyes on players and they do that by going to the highest level possible. So they're out there at MLS next. They're out there at ENCL, ECNL, sorry. Yeah. They're out there at all of those events. Now, what can you do as a student athlete to, maximize awareness for yourself is make sure you are professionally persistent when reaching out to them and letting them know that you're interested, not only on an athletic level, but also an academic level. And then either write to them, follow up with a phone call and really understand the university when you reach out to them. Don't, you know, speak in generalities speak to the coach as if you really know that program and do your homework, do your research on that. So mm-hmm. I think that's really the best answer I could provide for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything, every, well, gosh, we had a, we had a coach, uh, assistant coach um, on the show previously. He kind of shared a couple of the programs mm-hmm. that they're using. And he also talked about some of the challenges as a coach that he had, you know, because the best place to go evaluate players right now is to is to go to these tournaments. Now, the challenge is, is unfortunately, you're, you know, we don't have the technology or the capability to be two places at the same time. So what do you do when you have to watch more than one player and everything's at the same time? Mm-hmm. And let's say that kid has a, a rough game or, you know, what the coach is doing. There's a thousand different yeah. factors and we're still rolling the dice a little bit with with luck being mixed in there. 
But I, but I wonder in your, your thoughts as, as again, you, there were technologies you were in and methodologies you were using up to 15 years ago. Yeah. How fast do you think everything is changing? Like how many years, how many years from right now do you think everything is going to be completely different than, than what the recruitment process looks like today? Yeah. So I think the, the process is moving into a data science oriented um, direction for lack of better words. And the reason is, is because of some of the things you just brought up, right? Coaches cannot be in two places at once. And a lot of times they need to see players four, five, six times to make sure that they're passing the eye test over and over again. Because yeah. the number one thing you could do as a player, and a lot of people don't understand this, is consistency, right? So if you have an incredible game one time and they see you three other times and you're just average, you go down in their in their charts, right. right? So consistency is so important. So to get back to your question specifically, wearable technology is huge, right? And prior to the pandemic, I was working with a company called Soccer Lab out of Belgium. And what we did is we took all of this data that was now provided to coaches and we centralized it into one communicational port, right? So we, we brought everything in so that coaches could really identify, you know, where players were at on a daily basis. In five to 10 years, maybe less, I believe it's gonna move into that direction where coaches are relying on data from players to see their growth technically, right? They could see a lot from that. They can also really understand during the game, right? How hard are they working? You know, they could, you could, there's so many different ways to break down this data. It's incredible. And some coaches are going to put more emphasis on, you know, specific things like fitness and how much, you know, mileage uh, a center midfield covers throughout the game, right? Is he, is he an 18 to 18 player, right? So, Everyone's going to have a different sort of take on the data, but that's why it's going to be so important because right. it's just another way to really solidify your, your initial thoughts on a player, right? Um, right. They, they usually correlate really well. Yeah. As and, a, I, and I, I think that that point is, I think it's really vital for parents to understand it, that what it's going to boil down to in the coming years for the parents of youth players and for youth players to kind of get it into them head, their heads themselves is the better data you have, mm -hmm. not, not the better stats, but the better data, rec recorded yeah. data, like the honest recorded data, yeah. and the better tools you have, the clearer the pathway is going to become for you. For sure. And, and I would wonder, you know, for like – what would you say is like an appropriate age for parents and their youth player to kind of start having the conversation about like the, the college recruitment process or like their future pathways? Like what, what would you say is probably an appropriate age to start having that dialogue? Let me preface it with saying just because I'm of what I'm going to say, it, it, like I said earlier, it's going to be young, right? But that doesn't mean you should stop playing other sports. I just want to preface yeah. it with that, yeah. right? Yeah. So a lot of people get that confused. You should start talking about the college recruitment process and data and all of this stuff with your child as young as they are to be able to comprehend and 
maturely go about the process, right? So if I have a ninth grader and I know my son, right? And I'm aware that he might be a phenomenal player, but it might not be where he's at emotionally to get to the next level. You know, maybe I wait off on that conversation, but generally speaking, it's like that eighth, ninth grade, right? Because you need to set yourself up for success. In the ninth grade, you need to start going to ID camps that are, the right fit for you as a player so that you can maximize that awareness, right? Maybe a coach that from Lehigh university was not uh, able to see you at a tournament, but that's a school that fits you academically, environmentally, socially, and athletically. Mm -hmm. Then that's a target school of yours. You've identified that. Then you go down those paths to make sure you're seen in front of those coaches, right? Does that make sense? So I think it's that eighth, ninth grade. Now, once again, being a multi-sport athlete, I was, I think it's super important. So I played basketball. I almost played division three basketball in school. It was something that I really took a serious look at. Um, and also ultimately I made the decision I, I made, but playing basketball, even like wrestling, some of the best soccer players I see out there are wrestlers. They have incredible centers of gravity, right? There's yeah. so many other sports that can be, you know, really advantageous for your kids to continue to do, even while they're pursuing a college, right. you know, opportunity. Right, right. Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of conversation around the cross sport, mm-hmm. you know, training and things like that. And it's always good to just to break up the monotony. You know, I know, I, you know, I'm like, I've shared with you before, you know, I've, I've got two girls that play and uh, you know, I, I like for them to be able to play flag football. Like they play yeah, on all, all girl flag football teams and boys leagues, you know, and, yeah. and they've won some games against boys that are even older than them and <laughs> yeah, stuff like sure. that. And it's what a great boost for not only their confidence, but also it just kind of shows them, hey, athletically, like there's not just one box that we all fit in, you know. Yeah, I always absolutely. laugh, even watching the NFL, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes is not a bad he's, – he's not a bad quarterback at all. No. But from no. what I hear, he also was not a bad baseball player as well. Like there's – Going back to, you know, when you and I were younger, you know, there's the Bo Jacksons and the Deion Sanders of the world. So it it can be done. It's just not done that often anymore because I think we've entered in kind of the era of, you know, the the single sport um, kind of mastery instead of seeing really well-rounded athleticism, which kind of speaks to the larger narrative about American sports where, especially with soccer, we're just great athletes. We're not very good technically. And so I think there's a lot of – there's a lot of subconscious, you know, pining that we're kind of working out there. Right. Um, I would even for my girls, you know, one of the conversations I started having very early on with them is, you know, we, we talked about, you know, that there are professional clubs all around the world that, you know, there's one path. There's not one pathway as far as it just being collegiate, like there's professional too. Um, right. although in the United States, it's a, it's a lot more challenging for young girls, especially to sign, mm-hmm. to sign like professional contracts. That pathway looks different than it does for boys with MLS next and things like that. So we're probably about 10 to 15 years behind that being the case for, say, the NWSL or Mm -hmm. the USLW or things like that. Um, But I kind of just started seeding those conversations just to get them to dream and to think that, like, I could be doing this for a long time. Yeah. And and kind of that it's more of uh, the the pathway is long because I think I think a lot of people out there are looking for the fastest way up the mountain, so to speak. Hey, what's the quickest way that I can get to a college scholarship? Hey, what's the quickest way that I can get signed to a pro team? 
And I really love the approach that you're talking about because you're saying that, like, listen, just because you might be able to get to a school doesn't mean that it's a good school for you. Yeah. Because yeah. you are you are more than a player. You are a student athlete. Yeah. And and law like you experienced, you know, long after your playing career, you have an opportunity to, to the game can take you really far, but your mind and your heart can take you further. Yeah. For, mo for most people, right? The, the, you know, how many, what's the percentage of people that end up playing professional, you know, that, that go along that pathway? It's, very it's less than 1%, right? I yeah. mean, I think it's less than 1%. Yeah. Yeah, it's really low. If you were to add up, you know, division one through three, uh, boys and girls uh, programs in this country and just throw like a, you know, an estimated number of how many uh, scholarships are out there. What, what would you kind of estimate that number to be? Oh, geez, that's so hard. And I, that means I need to be decent at math. math. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not even possible. Sure. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, how, how many, how many division uh, one through three schools are there that even have yeah. soccer programs? Like yeah, what so are we looking at like 800 schools on the men's side and the women's side is not, I'm not as educated. Okay. Um, but what that looks like is a fully funded program is 9.9 .9 scholarships, right? At FAU, which was a decent, decent program, Division One, we weren't fully funded. We only had like four scholarships to work with. So we needed to spread that over, you know, 26 players. Right. right and there's right. a lot of universities that aren't fully funded. Um, so, you know, you need to take that into consideration. The reality is statistically, 7% of high school athletes go on to play collegially. Okay. One one percent play Division One ball, and the rest that 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 six percent, five six percent, will play Division Two, II, Division Three. Okay. Now, a lot of players in high school, I firmly believe, do not try to play in college because they don't have the right information. And I'm a firm believer that if you are a high school player, even a, a good high school player, but you have the passion. You want you and you have the drive to play at the college level, you can find a university that is going to be perfect for you. I mean, there are some there are some great schools out there that people haven't heard of that have, you know, great opportunities for players. And being part of a team at that level is so important just because of the camaraderie and the culture, but also it sets you up for success after school. Right. A lot of these teams have alumni that are incredibly, you know, valuable to you when you come out of school and you need that first job to enter the market. Right. Right. And 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 that's really, you know, what I preach throughout our, our platform and our program. For me, I think it. I want every player to try to pursue the professional level 100 percent, but be realistic and be self-aware. That's 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 my message. Yeah. Yeah, I even think of the story with uh, like a player like Matt Turner, who mm -hmm. didn't really play too much uh, high school soccer, so to speak, and kind of got converted in college, if you will, to be a goalkeeper. Uh, right. You know, recently signed with Arsenal right. and you know men's national team. So the the beautiful thing is that uh, just because it happened for one person doesn't mean it, it it's going to happen for the next. But that there's there's a lot of ways for players to kind of tackle this mountain to 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 take their talent as far as their potential can go. Um, yeah. And I, and, and it's the whole thing, you know, we want to see more players and more student athletes continue to dream and to, to push themselves to, but you also have to be pushed where there's 
a good opportunity uh, where there, where there's a realistic opportunity. And I, and I really appreciate what you had to say about ego because, you know, in my experience, even with the youth game, it's really it's the ego of the parents or the ego of the player as a residual of the parents that tend to get a lot of the attention because they tend to be the squeakiest, loudest, you know, wheels on the sideline. But that doesn't also mean that that's always the best decision for a coach and or program type deal, too. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, thinking a little deeper about the, the data science aspect, um, you know, that's a lot of what we've tried to take the approach from with Soccer Geeks and, and right. give, you know, along with what you're saying with that educational process of just what the pathway looks like. Because I think that, you know, for student athletes, there's not a lot of high schools that are out there like having seminars for parents on how to kind of navigate college and the, right. and the college uh, pathway. Right. Um, but even from a data standpoint, you know, there still needs to be a level of education of what actually is valuable information yes. for my kids as they're as they're developing and as they're maturing and growing. Um, and I say that because, like, um, you know, we tend to only focus. You know, you were a center back, right? So mm-hmm. for years, if we only focused on you know state titles and goals, right. you won't have a very impressive resume, Correct. right? Because you played well, you played outside back, right? But so you, you're a defender, and then and move centrally, right? Yeah, right. So, but again, how do we find out what kids who really have the highest ceilings as center backs or have been, or have played a lot of positions or things like that around the field? And, and what are the type of metrics that we can start recording from the U9, U10 age to show a pattern of development? Mm -hmm. I heard a really interesting. The patterns, the pattern is, is, is super important. I'm sorry to interject. Talk talk to to me about that. Talk to me about the pattern of development. Yeah. Patterns really, really interesting, right? Because at the end of the day, it comes down to consistency, which, which I spoke about, but it's really interesting to see that. Um, well, one, that data, if kids aren't improving, you know, year after year, season after season, it speaks to the coaching means we need to be, get better as, you know, a country educating our coaches. And I think that's, that's a huge part of it, right? Because we tend in the, in the system to put some of our weaker coaches with the like U9s and U10s. And I think it should almost be opposite. So when you're looking at development, you want to see consistent development year after year. But then it would be really interesting to see like uh, the exponential growth of some of these players, like as they mature, like what is the season? Maybe it's junior year in high school. Maybe it's sophomore year that they really explode and and they and they and they they just get to that next level yeah. for lack of better words. Right. Um, but, but it, for me, if I'm looking at data and I'm looking at a player and I've done it in my career, it's the, it's the players that are consistent and have that sort of measure growth because they keep going. Right. And that is, and they don't plateau. And you could see through data when, when kids plateau or, or athletes plateau, um, so that's that's what I get out of the patterning. Well, I've talked about in the past that you know there's no, you know, um, there's no just straight uphill in regards to development. So for sure, my, my line of thought has always been there's there's times where players plateau, there's times where they actually decline, right? If if you're taking that data, say you know from a kid who's ten years old, right, all the way to their eighteen, mm-hmm. and they don't ever hit a plateau, I begin to worry, mm-hmm. because I worry if they get to my program, is that are they done peaking? Do they peak too early? 
How long is that plateau? Right. So I always like to look at like, well, are they plateauing? And even if they go, uh, but have they faced adversity? Yeah. You know, some people, best team ever, top team, top division team, always been on the best and been around the best. What Mm -hmm. happens when they're not around the best? What happens when they're not their best? How do they face adversity? Mm-hmm. So, but I guess if we were, you know, if we were both college recruitment coaches, maybe we would look at th- it from a little bit of a different angle. Of course. But, but talk to me a little bit about what you just said as far as, you know, the plateau. You said the length of the plateau. But can you talk a little bit about when players start to face adversity in their playing sure. careers? Sure. I was uh, Dean Kosky. I interviewed him the other day as well. And one of the things he said why he loves to invite recruits to his ID camps is because he knows it's not always going to be the best level, right? Like just by default, right? You're not going to have the the best players. There's going to be some players that, you know, are chasing their dreams, so to speak. How do those players that they, that he knows have what it takes to play at that level. What are those intangibles? What do those look like? Right? What are they going to do? Are they going to rise to the occasion? Are they going to become leaders or are they going to, you know, start yelling? start being, you know, disrespectful to the coaching staff because they got taken off the field. Like how do you, the maturity aspect, there's so many things that coaches look for um, that I thought was really interesting when yeah. it comes to like, you know, what they also look at as far as when they plateau. Right. And, right. and, and, and if you make a mistake, how quickly do you turn that mistake and get back into a positive mindset and be able to put it behind you. Super right. important. Right. And I think that, you know, going back to what you said about the fundamentals, that's why I think even at the coaching at the youngers, it's really important for kids to kind of face those environments early on. Yeah. You know, I've, um, you know, my kids don't play for first teams, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? They're on second teams and, and things like that. And so, um, well, actually my youngest now does play for a first team this, this, this next, this coming year. But, you know, they're constantly put in environments where it's always second team against first team, you know, and there's mm-hmm. like this this budding war when, you know, and then the, the thing that we're always told by clubs is that, well, we're looking at them as a pool of players. It's like, mm-hmm. OK, well, if we're looking at it as a pool of players, we probably should mix things up a little bit yeah. because you, you have to always put players in a place where they have an opportunity to rise, yeah. but they also have the opportunity to face some adversity and kind of break through. And if the same kids are always kind of at the top of the pecking order due to, you know, puberty and, and, you know, physical strength Mm -hmm. and prowess and stuff like that, then you're, you're really not giving everybody a chance to kind of face that adversity to see what they're really tested and made of. You know, the other thing too, is I was talking with, um, I remember some article, I think I was reading the other line talking about, um, kind of the European approach of Mm -hmm. looking at the, the, the data science over years Mm -hmm. and looking at players that have played up a few years, um, especially players that develop really quickly from like a soccer talent aspect. You know, we've okay. got a lot of teenagers that are now going to play in Europe. Yeah. But but when they have to face like adversity or maturity or an IQ, soccer IQ and technical ability that is some some of them a decade older than they are. You know, I think of like Jonathan right. Gomez who plays, mm-hmm. you know, at, in USL and now he's in he's at um, in I think Porto B playing in, in Portugal. But he's playing against grown men in the right. USL. Like he's playing some guys that, that played a lot of soccer and they've either kind of gone up and they kind of parachuted down to USL or a lot of guys that they're journeymen or things like that. I mean, he's playing, you know, he's a 16, 17-year-old kid playing against right. 28, 29-year-old guys that are, they're not going easy on him. You know, they're 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 going pretty hard. 
but how did how do they respond to that yeah. that adversity as well and push through um just a just a side note on that yeah. so uh gary book who's at adelphi university division two school they they are mopping the floor when it comes to possession holding the ball playing against division one programs because at the division two level you need to understand that there are those 26, 27 year olds from overseas, right? So in that level, you're competing with those, with those players who have the physical maturity because men at 27 hit their peak, right? So they're right around their peak. And you have a, you know, an 18 year old kid trying to get into that, break into that. There's going to be a lot of adversity to yeah. what you're speaking about. Um, and it takes someone with a lot of mental, aptitude to be able to you know understand where they're at and and break through in an environment like that so sorry yeah, i mean it's you're, interesting. no you're good yeah no bring it i mean yeah you know that's one of those things where you know it's the first time you get punched in the mouth right you, you know you fi- you find out you know really what you're made of and how you respond to a situation where you're not alpha anymore and yeah. you've really you've got to kind of earn earn and earn your time and fight for your spot and you know like you said, you, you earn the ability as a college freshman to be able to start on your team. Like I'm sure there were guys in that locker room that had been there that felt that they were more deserving or people oh, that weren't happy sure. that you had that, that, but at the same time you, you earned it, but you also had to keep it. Yeah. And I, I think it's super good for players younger than that pathway to have that mm-hmm. in high school, to find that ECNL, ECRL, you know, the GA, the DPL, and mm-hmm. even the flight ones, you know, the, the, the kids that are trying to break through and get picked up to academies. Yeah. I think it's just really good to make sure, you know, for parents. I, okay, so so help me. We're going to talk. I want to talk in closing a little bit. Just kind of I want to give you the opportunity to kind of yeah, share sure. with our audience, you know, kind of give you give that final appeal for parents to check you guys out. But talk to me a little bit like what you would say to parents that that have kids at the club level. What do you think are the environments and the attributes, just like they would look in a college program, what do you think that are the attributes and kind of the philosophies and the relationship, even on the club level, that parents should be looking for, for the place that their kids are getting developed uh, in at the, at the youth levels? It's a great question. Okay. Um, and because I don't believe it's, it's done uh, correctly most of the time. If parents are involved in most of the process with clubs, like they have a say, um, they could be involved in the training sessions or even overseeing training sessions. Like to me, that's sort of a red flag, right? When, when I develop a program and I've, I've developed many programs, it's, it's about fostering an environment of growth, not only from the player, but from also the parents perspective, because if the parents aren't getting educated and the club is not doing a good job to educate you on the recruitment process, great. That's further down the line. But if they're not educating you on how they're going to fundamentally develop your son or daughter, and there's not a matrix to show you how to do that. And then their, their actual sessions don't follow that. Then that's a problem, right? Yeah. Like a lot of you coaches- just described 98 98- 
8.9 clubs in the country. I know. It's because sad. I can tell you honestly, as a parent, my right. kids have played at a handful of clubs. Right. You have one meeting at the beginning of the right. season. Right. You maybe have one when you get in trouble for yelling at the referees because you're so frustrated and the coach is finally frustrated with you. And then right. you have like one meeting at the end of the season. Yeah. There's yeah. no education for parents. Yeah. Like I, I – there. The coaches that I know that have done a good job is on a weekly basis. They send out an email and they go, "Hey, listen, this is what we're. These are the principles and the buzzwords we're going to be going over with at practice. Make sure your kid kind of knows these vocabulary. Have them watch this little video, and right. then I want I'm going to test them at practice of these. Those are the best coaches I've yeah. seen, far and few between. But, and what is it? It's communication, right? It's communication, yeah. and and people people don't communicate well. Um, but it's so important on so many different levels, especially within the recruitment process, right? Because you need to communicate as a human being to tell people what you want and what your goals are. So let's just get back to the, the development of the club. It's what are we doing, right? Let, let's bring it back to some of the data science stuff and tie that in. Like, how can we give and educate parents on a level that they are still involved, but they're learning about the game, Right. Is, is there some questionnaires that we could have them fill out throughout the game, throughout practice? So ultimately we shut them up, right, on the sideline, yeah. but yeah. also they're learning, right? Um, are there videos that they should be um, going through? What I used to love having my players do at the college level and started to do at the club level was breaking down film, but I wasn't breaking it down. I would break it down maybe once or twice to show them, you know, how you go about it but then give it to them as homework and say, give me five specific circumstances where you could have done something different with the ball that would have, you know, led to a different, you know, a different pattern of play. Right. Exactly. Like (laughs) where could, right. Where could you have been better? Right. Sure. Sure. Where did you do well? And I think that's important too. It's not just critiquing the mistakes, but where are you really solid? Right. And understanding that to gain the confidence. Athletes remember for coaches, right? You could say 99 positive things to a player. You tell them one negative thing in a demeaning way, you're going to kill their confidence, right? Yeah. So, so just be aware of, of how, how you connect and communicate with players and educate them as much as possible. And just to tie it in, it's, that's what we saw in the market, right? That's what recruit fluency is. It's identifying a market that is solely hell-bent on the scholarship, not on the long-term goal, and understanding that parents don't educate themselves early enough, so they get into an overwhelming frenzy, and then they're grasping onto anything they could get their hands on that that is going to help their their son or daughter get to the next level, right? And that's why these agencies and services they barely even need a pitch, right? Because when you monetize fear, right? Yeah. If you feel that you're in a meeting yeah. and you're monetizing fear and you're literally toying with their emotional side of things, you know, that's a red flag, right? So Recruit Fluency was built on the backbone and the fundamentals of educating so that parents never have to be in that situation. And to me, I'm not in competition with agencies and services. If parents want to go down that route, because they believe they need some handholding. Will we offer that? Yeah, but if you want to go in a different direction, great. Go through our program first, because it's going to educate you on everything you need to know to help defend yourself against some of 
the things that aren't necessary within the process. And I guarantee you'll save thousands of dollars and your son or daughter will benefit from it immensely. Right. No, I think it's great. Uh, and, and, and I, and I appreciate the time that you've spent with us kind of breaking it down because I, I know you're really passionate about this and you have a lot of experience in this space. So it's, it's good for people to hear your perspective and to kind of hear the wealth of knowledge that you've, you, you have, and that you want to communicate in, in just closing. We always ask one last question here on the soccer geeks podcast to our guests. Yeah, sure. And I've left it as a mystery until now. Too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, so here's, 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 uh, here's a question I would ask you, Elliot, uh, you are given, um, Complete power to make one sweeping change in U.S. soccer with no hindrance, no, 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 nothing. You just you say it and it's done. What do you change in this country, and to what end? I would, I would, I would, I would mandate that wearable technology was in every single club from the youth level throughout, so that every player can be tracked. Every player can be identified so that no player slips through the cracks. And I think that's what happens in U.S. soccer. There is no fluidity to, there's too many cracks and holes where players can fall through some of the best players. Maybe that's, you know, financially, they can't afford to go to the ODP, you know, tryouts or whatever that is, right? How would you potentially combat against that? data science, right? right? It's like, it, it's, it's right there in front of us for the taking. If the U.S. would spend their money correctly, it would be on the education of coaches and getting players technology that could be tracked so that they, as a, as a governing body, could know where those best players are because right now they don't. It's who, yeah. whoever is closest to that ID camp or, you know, I forget what they call them. Right. But they have these centers, sure. right? Some people yeah, can't yeah, get yeah. there. So that's, that's what I would do. And I, that would be my over sweeping change. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Hey, Marissa, why don't you come back in if you can, if you're still there. Yes. There she is. Welcome back, Marissa. And uh, thanks so much, uh, Elliot, uh, for your time. Marissa, go ahead and do your thing. Yeah, uh, really interesting to hear your perspective, obviously, uh, dealing with it as a player, but also now um, as a recruiter. So I hope that uh, our audience listening can uh, learn something from it and maybe we'll uh, see some change down the line. So um, let us know where we can connect with you. I know you're on the socials and on the website, but what's the best way to get a hold of you to follow up? recruitfluency.com and you could always shoot an email to elliot at recruitfluency.com if you want to learn more awesome. about our program go on to recruitfluency.com if you have a specific question shoot me an email i'll respond to it personally thank you elliot we enjoyed yeah. your time absolutely thanks so much for your time today appreciate, no, appreciate you being it. on the show and uh, all the knowledge that you dropped today dude we're really thankful for it yeah it's a pleasure i really appreciate the time and um great questions i I hope it was impactful. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Thank you.